0: This is episode 177. Did you know that almost 80% of the US population has insulin resistance, which is a symptom of pre-diabetes? And the numbers in Australia and other Western countries are very close behind, which is really, if you think about it, quite astronomical. The thing is, insulin resistance is not just a symptom that might lead to diabetes, The other possible outcomes include cancer, weight gain, obesity, Alzheimer's, dementia, autoimmune disease, thyroid issues, and so many other unfortunate things. What this tells us about the health that you and your family are guided towards by the systems that be is that there is something that's really quite wrong about what's going on because the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and over again expecting a different outcome, which shows up as the question... Why, with all these amazing procedures, drugs, and solutions, is the world sicker than it's ever been? Therefore... I think it's time we take a different approach to medicine. And the way that you and I can guide the system to produce better health outcomes is by spending your dollar on non conventional approaches like functional and integrative medicine. So, if you're up for a bit of a chat and an introduction into functional medicine and and integrative thinking about how to do medicine differently or how to do healthcare differently, then this is your episode. Let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up my healthy friends? In 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. Or smashing cardio, for that matter, because that doesn't get you very far, as we know. Today on the show, we have ourselves a medical doctor that has started out, as many do, as part of the conventional medical system, and then made a dramatic change in the orientation of his thinking and the way that he looked at human health problems. I want you to meet Dr. Aaron Hartman, whose journey with functional medicine started when he and his wife adopted their first daughter, whom has cerebral palsy and countless dietary issues. They went from specialist to specialist and even as a physician, Dr. Hartman felt let down and confused. His daughter's health struggles forced him to confront an uncomfortable realization, which I know you listening are aware of too since you listen to this show. And that is that our current healthcare system doesn't have all the answers. His wife, however, refused to give up hope and ultimately pointed him towards functional medicine and amazingly, his daughter and other two kids began to thrive. After years in family practice, he felt called to make that dramatic shift towards functional and integrative medicine. Dr. Hartman now helps patients identify leverage points in key areas of their health and lifestyle that harness their body's remarkable power to heal and begin living the vibrant life that they deserve. He's become the go-to doctor for difficult and hard cases in the central Virginia area in the USA. As well, he does some clinical research, having been involved with over 60 clinical trials. He's the founder of the Virginia Research Centre and currently is serving as the Assistant Clinical Professor of Family Medicine at the VCU School of Medicine and is the founder of Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine. No small feats here at all. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to the show, Aaron. How are you?
1: Matt, it's great to be here. I'm really excited to share with your community and just um, glad that we got two people from different sides of the world finally got together.
0: Totally. Yeah, we went back and forth there for a while trying to make yeah. it work, but I'm glad we're here. <laughs> yeah,
1: awesome. Great.
0: So, I I myself too came from a Western medically dominated background and career. And so, I sort of know that system after working in the hospital system for a while here in Australia and the culture around and the attitudes towards anything that is even remotely different from what we were taught at university. Um, How did you manage to rewire your belief systems about health, nutrition and medicine to be able to see things through a different lens? Because I know that it's just not something that is socially acceptable in medical circles.
1: I think I think for me, it was just I never stopped learning, and so i 've always wanted to learn you know do you do your medical school and you're basically you know the joke is that you're being um spoon fed by the dump truck you know you do a your residency <laughs> you're working long hours, and so when I finished all that, I just loved learning, I kept on learning i didn 't stop, and so I just kept on learning things and, and my wife, who's a, a pediatric occupational therapist, you know one of the things about um therapists is that everything to do is outside the box, everything is individual, everything's personal, everything depends on the kid and so you're know, being married to someone who was like telling about these strange, weird diseases that I'd never heard of. And that's like their everyday clinic just kind of kept me um, open to the fact that there's things I've never heard of before. And so, you know, I started looking at vitamin D levels and testing those back in 2003 and using A1Cs for screening for diabetes about the same time, which now is even now still kind of not catching on. So it's really interesting yeah. to see like what, what, um, quote unquote, cutting edge is, is not always cutting edge. It's usually... Decades old information. And so when we adopted our daughter, that was, I think, the accelerant. You know, um, being told that my daughter needed a feeding tube um, in order to gain weight, and then finding out that um, actually she didn't, finding a growth chart for her that the pediatric GI specialist didn't know exist, kind of opened my eyes to wait a second, the experts don't always know. And then doing that a couple of times um, with eye doctors and other specialists just kind of helped, helped me realize I need to really be an advocate for my daughter. And so that just put gas on my fire, realizing at that point in time, she was between two and three. And it's like, I need to study and research because I've got a limited time where her brain is super plastic and, and malleable. And so that just kind of threw gas on my fire and um, just really accelerated my learning. It's amazing how if you have a personal, um, if you have skin in the game, yeah, you can, we, all, we all are educated, we're all motivated, but it's literally when it's like your own kid, your own daughter, it's just, it's a different level of involvement and just it gets you up at four in the morning reading research articles. It gets you staying up late at night working on a second board certification, talking to specialists around the world. I mean, we've I've talked to specialists around the world about lipid therapy, about electro neural stimulation therapy, about all kinds of things related to my daughter, because that's my been my primary driver. And then to take the information and apply it to patients and see how they do, it's like that's kind of it's really cool to be honest with you. And just keeps you even though I'm, you know, I'm turning forty nine this year and I'm entering my fiftieth year of life, it just keeps me wanting to learn and not burn out. You know, the way you don't burn out is you keep you keep young, keep fresh, you keep your mind working, and that's kind of what I've been doing.
0: Well, you didn't definitely do not look like someone who's about to turn fifty, if that means anything.
1: <laughs> I'm entering I'm entering my fiftieth year of life, but turning forty nine my wife is like, Don't round up. I'm like, you know, I'm kinda of looking forward to getting into my fiftieth year of life, you know, so
0: well, you look great. So that's a oh, testament thanks. to the life you live, obviously, right? So um, I'm curious, like, what was the biggest uh, non-medical intervention that produced results for your daughter that really started to shift your perspective?
1: The single biggest thing was actually driven by my wife, which was our diet. You know, when kids with special needs, are, they usually take formula, which is sugar, water, basically with some protein. And that's what they feed kids with special needs. And, and to see the association with gut health and diet and how your gut is intricately related to brain health. Um, it was a huge leverage point. My son, who's our third third adopted child, came to us at six months of age with terrible asthma, terrible eczema. My wife would literally sleep with her, sleep with him, sorry, on her chest at night because she was worried he'd stop breathing in the middle of the night. And so we radically changed his diet. And, um, you know, within three months, his wheezing was gone and he's now 11 and he doesn't wheeze. He has no asthma the skin looks fine. He breaks out a little bit if he eats too much dairy. but That's about it. So, um and the diet was going to ask
0: if it was dairy.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 He was yeah dairy, and he 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 was unfortunately he was growing up on a um a donut whole diet at one to six months of age with formula and that just as, wow. as an aside that's not great for kids nutrition just in case you were wondering. Um Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So um so diet has been the foundation for all of our kids, and then I've learned you know. Nutrigenetics, epigenetics, all this kind of stuff, and we applied that. But it's been built on top of using food as medicine. Whether it's using fats as brain medicine, which is going to be one of the answers to your question. When your question's at the end, is fats are where it's at. So, um, but um, diet's been the big thing that we've um, that's changed the trajectory of our kids' health. Yeah,
0: that's powerful. What do you think? It was more the subtraction of unhealthy foods or the addition of healthy foods? And I ask that question because, um, as you would see, a lot of people go and do healthy activities or healthy meals or whatever it might be and then go and reward themselves with the other food. <clears throat> and it's kind of like sometimes it's like polishing a turd in a, in a way. It's like, well, I don't know if you know putting putting uh, kale leaves on top of the donuts really makes the donuts any better. So do you find it subtraction or addition that's oh. the, the crucial part?
1: I think the crucial part initially for us was addition because we, we – it was like we didn't go from, you know, in a six-month-old from, you know, pedicare formula to, like, amazing food. It was a process. Um, you know, it's really interesting. There's studies looking at, you know, looking at saturated fats in a hamburger, for example, and you eat a hamburger, and there's a thing called um, postprandial endotoxemia where you eat these fatty things with protein. And it makes these toxins go up from your gut, basically, and they stay up for 12 hours after eating a big old hamburger. If you put a little bit of time on that hamburger, they come down six hours. So this Mm -hmm. is not to say that we shouldn't change everything, but you get a lot of bang for your buck just adding healthy on while you're pulling away the unhealthy. So I like to look at that data and say, look, you know what, If wherever you're at, start start by adding healthy stuff on and then we can subtract later, Um, you know, because the reality is people need, this is a lifestyle change. It took us a year and a half just to figure out how to source our food. So, you know, I think setting people up for success. I think adding on is probably, will make them more successful. But the reality is, is that if you're eating toxic food, if you're eating toxic fats, your trans fats, long-chain fatty acids in, the, in these the processed foods, that's terrible for your brain. It's terrible for your hormones. So, um, you know, food is such a huge leverage point. I don't want to minimize eating real food, but the reality is, is, it takes people have to learn how to source their meat, source their dairy, source their green, you know, think something as simple as kale. If kale's is grown in the wrong type of soil, you can have elevate blood levels of thallium mm-hmm. from eating too much kale, right? And so you crucifers. It's so it's like, okay, how do you get clean kale? You know, so that, that takes time for people to learn that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that's a really good answer because yeah, a lifestyle shift unfortunately doesn't happen in a... Six week program or a 30 day challenge and, and yeah, yeah. finding out where to shop and which fo- which ingredients are in which foods, because even a lot of health foods, uh, have very misleading branding. Yeah. And, and the power of branding is amazing, right? Like just a certain set of colors on a packaging <laughs> can give you the idea that you're buying a health product that's loaded full of vegetable oil and sugar alternatives and, you know, different, uh, different types of chemicals that and additives and preservatives that are really not your friend.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not sure what the branding um, in Australia is like. I don't know if you have these terms, you know, healthy whole grains, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, we do. Okay, there we go. So that's advertising, right? I mean, healthy whole grains, look at at the ingredients. It's not whole grains. You know, (laughs) milk does a body good, right? But the milk they're talking about is pasteurized, homogenized milk. Like we talk about water and oil don't mix. Well, unless it's homogenized, then they do. And that changes the food chemistry. Um, you know low fat healthy low fat diet it's like your brain is 80 percent fat i personally think a lot of the neurological issues we're seeing with autism and adhd there's actually a prescription drug called viarin in the united states it's a prescription dha which is a um, omega-3 fatty acid from fish to treat approved by the food and drug administration in the united states to treat um adhd like mm-hmm. that's crazy like so a lot of this marketing you know um, healthy whole grains, you know, low healthy, low fat diet. These things are actually, it's marketing. It's not actual based on data or science. It's pure marketing. And this stuff goes back to the 1970s and before. So it's just amazing what something advertisement back then can stick for decades.
0: Oh, absolutely. You mentioned the DHEA and fats and you commented on fats before is like we've seen a big shift in the nutrition world um, and the medical world too of those that are you know on the fringe edge of medicine which you would probably consider yourself i would imagine but like is this movement towards healthy fats and high fat diets like is that the reason that we're seeing all of these diseases of civilization you know pop up because essentially we're seeing you know the diabetes the cancers the dementias the parkinson's Mm. you know just explode in numbers and it's mostly in the Western world or, or countries that have access to Western foods, you know, bag, a box, or a can type foods. And they're obviously following that original food pyramid, low, low fat mantra. Yeah. Is that part of the problem?
1: Well, absolutely. There's an interesting fellow, Weston A. Price. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He was yes. a, de- a dentist from the United States. States. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Traveled the world, went to a lot of primitive cultures. And he saw that basically, literally facial structures, a risk for severe tuberculosis, um, severe infections, longevity, correlating. And he was looking at mouth structure, you know. And he saw basically this trend, like civilist, Westernization of primitive cultures resulted in Westernized diseases. Um, there's another guy who's a British, actually a British um, entomologist, Sir Albert Howard, wrote an interesting book uh, called um, um, Sewer in Health. And he was actually, he was like pre-World War I, I'm sorry, pre-World War II, um, a British basically guy in in India. And what he saw was actually the health of the soil affected the health of the food that affected the health of all the animals and people in that area. And so, and he basically saw basically processed using, um, processed, um, fertilizers, um, synthetic fertilizers, acidifying the oral effect of the soil, I'm sorry, affected food and affected health. So we have this idea of processed food going back actually to in the United States, 1908 with Crisco. The thing that's, was crazy that made a big shift. And You look at these like these health curves of cardiovascular disease and sugar. You see sugar consumption skyrocketed to the 50s and 60s. But you don't see and you see heart heart disease pop up, but the big increase in diseases we see now actually correlate more with the introduction of the low fat diet and processed fats becoming a big source, margarine, um your trans fats. You know, just think about it. If you take um a vegetable oil which is liquid at room temperature, right? And you hydrogenate, you turn it into a semi-solid substance. You know, the plastic in your microphone, the plastic in your ear things, that is taking a liquid and making it into a solid. That's what they're doing with these, these oils. And that gets mm-hmm. in your cell membranes and basically affects cell fluidity. And some of the newer data is showing cell fluidity or how flexible your cell membranes are, affects how your hormones work, affects how your brain detoxifies itself, affects a whole host of things. And so I think the modern scourge, so to speak, is just where we've removed healthy fats that help your liver detoxify and we replace them with toxic, inflammatory, um trans fats, hydrogenated orals. And that's a big, big play with a lot of neurological issues. And I use it in my clinic. You know, I'm, I do fatty acid analysis on patients, check their brain fatty acid levels. Then I fix those things. It's amazing to see people's chronic fatigue and fibro, to see people's brain fog lift when you just give them healthy fats. Totally.
0: Yeah, and... Like, I guess what you're covering there is all the vegetable oils, right? We're talking rapeseed, canola yeah. oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, that, that collection of oils yeah. that Crisco really kicked off in the early days to yeah. send us on the path that we're on now, right?
1: Yeah. Well, think about a lot of those oils as well. Like, actually, flax is super healthy. If you're a female, flax seed is amazing. It can lower your risk for breast cancer like 25%. But if you take those flax seeds and you get expeller pressed oral, if you've ever seen pictures, you can do like a YouTube thing. They actually put pressure to push out the oil from the seeds and you'll see smoke come off. Uh, These omega-3s are heat sensitive. And so if your fish oil is being heated in the process of extraction, or if you're being a solvent, like a lot of krill oil, people don't realize a lot of krill oil and algal oils are actually solvent extracted. Well, now you're taking something that's healthy and you're either using it in some kind of solvent, which is usually a petroleum-based product, or you're pressing it, expeller press, and actually you're slightly burning that um oil, now you've created inflammatory fat. And that's where it's kind of you can have something that's healthy, start at healthy, and you can turn it into something unhealthy by the way you actually um extract it. And that's something people a lot people don't realize. It's not just you're eating, you know, seed oil. The big issue with seed oils is not that seeds are bad or the seed oils are bad. It's like how do they get that stuff out and then put it in the bottle that you um ingest.
0: Yeah, the manufacture process does all the damage.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um Something that popped into mind just then when you were talking about the processing of krill oil and things like fish oil, um, there's, you know, there's a bit of debate in the space you know, when it comes to like naturopaths or dietitians about whether your fish oil supplements are a good idea at all. Some people say 100% of them are rancid. Some people say they're really good for you. Where do you sit on that conversation?
1: Okay. Good fats are good. Bad fats are bad. Okay, so with the fish oil, okay, that's start fish oil, okay. Um, you really need a fish oil to be like CO2 supercritical extracted or um or somehow extracted with using a cold process. You know, if you're using a solvent process or heating process, you basically made rancid fish oil. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason I use certain products of fish oil. I don't recommend I don't recommend random products of fish oil. If you take a fish oil capsule and you burp fishy, it's rancid.
0: Mm-hmm
1: how many people have you talked to? Oh yeah. Burp fish. I, don't, I don't like a burp fishy. It's like, well, you're, you know, have you, if you eat a nice, fresh salmon, mackerel, whatever you burp fishy, it's old, right? Yeah, um, totally. as, as far as the, as far as some of the algal oils, it's really interesting. Um, Neptune, which actually, um, makes about 90% of the, um, the, um, krill oil in the world. I actually contacted them a while ago and I was like, Hey, you know, I need to do a solvent extraction. What solvent to use? And, you know, is it clean? Like, oh yeah, we use, you know, the solvent, but we do a process to remove the solvent from it. Okay, cool. Can I, you know, what's the solvent? We can't tell you, it's proprietary. All right, fair enough. Well, how about your certificate of analysis that says it's clean? Can I look at that? Well, that's proprietary as well. I'm like, okay, so, and and this is me as a physician calling them. Like, I want to verify for you, Maddie, like, hey, take this great product. If I'm going to tell this as a medical doctor, I got to make sure it's safe for you, right? So I couldn't verify the safety. I had to take their word for it. And I said, I've had a big, just intellectual problem. And just, and just forget that part. If they, if you also look at how krill oil is extracted, um, it's terrible for the environment. It's actually done in a horrible way. Um, you can yeah. get small fish, um, anchovies, mackerel, you can get small fish, omega-3s very, very easily. You can actually concentrate using different technologies, um, triglyceride technologies, concentrate your DHA and EPA and do it in a simple, um, a super critical fashion. That's clean. It's just a little more expensive, you know, um, if you want good stuff, it's not going to be cheap.
0: How is the consumer, uh, would they make those decisions like, uh, and know which, which um, to go towards? Is it a matter of contacting companies and going through that process that you just yeah. went through?
1: Absolutely. Either they have to do it themselves or find a trusted source that does it for them. You have to look at the fish oil container. Does it specify, you know, nitrogen sealed? Because like one thing, for example, if you use nitrogen in a bottle, basically it's not exposed to oxygen, so it'll store better and longer. Is it being put in a a brown glass container which blocks UV radiation so it doesn't age as quickly? Um, Do they use some kind of supercritical extraction or molecular distillation process, which is a way of basically getting it out without? And the molecular distillation, you're actually... Um, are doing it in a fashion where you actually lower the boiling point so it's not being overheated so it's really cool a cool science you know it's cool science like if they don't say that on the bottle go to the website is it on the website If it's not on the website you know do you assume they're doing it the right way or do you call them you know and that's where you know i yeah. i you know if, if they don't if, it's like if you're talking to a farmer and you ask them about how they're how they're doing their stuff if they're doing it the right way they're proud of it They plaster it. They're like, I'm organic. I use these whole husks and I make my compost and and I get the earthworms. And they're proud of that stuff, right? I mean, this is a bee guy locally here who like, like he'll like just go off on bees for like, you know, forever. He loves his bees. They're his buddies, right? Like, okay, if you love your bees, you love your cows, you love your kale, you love your – you're going to be proud of that and talk about it. If someone's like blowing you off like, oh, you know, you're one of those, you know, crunchy people ask me all these hard questions, they're probably – not doing things the right way.
0: That's a great example, um, and it's the same when we go to the farmers market or any type of market. Talking to the farmers about their processing, um, and and here I know um, I've got a friend here in Melbourne that um, called Regen Ray. He's um you know a part of a company called Farming Secrets, and and you know sort of helping farms convert to regenerative farming. Um, and he says the same thing that regenerative farmers, organic farmers are really proud and they want to show you all of their stuff and all of this amazing, you know, how, how the ecosystem is helping itself and they're just super yeah. excited. So I think that's a very good uh, way to frame communicating with any of these yeah. corporate entities that have, are producing products that we put in our body. Well,
1: if you ask me about a supplement like vitamin D, let's say, for example, like, well, I'm going to talk about, you know, different oils, like um, an MCT oral versus an olive oil versus a sunflower versus soy. There's different kinds of vehicles for vitamin D. And I'm going to talk about well, how most stories is genetically modified. You know, if, if someone's saying not into that level of stuff, are they really recommending the right product to you? And it's really interesting how if you look at something as simple as um, calcium, for example, you know, there's an interesting article in the United States put out um, 2015 showing that 25% of calcium you buy in your regular pharmacy had lead in it. And 20% of those was over the EPA level of safe you know for a calcium supplement but my answer is I don't want any calcium in my I mean any lead in a calcium yeah. supplement. <laughs> Me so, neither. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just it's just kind of crazy. If you start making due diligence and looking at stuff, I mean it's it's crazy how much stuff is tainted and yeah, it's kind of crazy.
0: So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me, All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence eBook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. It really is crazy. Um, What do you find with your sort of medical circle is that with the shift out of sort of a primary focus of Western medicine to integrative and functional medicine, have you found that any more challenging uh, to communicate to patients or to, to, you know, get them on board with this new kind of thinking or methodology when you made that shift?
1: Um, I think patients that are educated are aware of it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big educational process. You talk about, you know, half of all chronic disease in our country can be directly attributed eating processed foods. People nod like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Okay, Harvard School of Public Health, you know, one of the top medical institutions in, in, in our country and the world, says eighty percent of heart disease and seventy percent of cancer can be prevented by diet and lifestyle alone. People are like, yeah, 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 yeah. They get into it. Okay, let's look at your diet. Oh well, I do fast food and I skip meals and I when I eat, I eat this this powder from X Y Z. And so a lot of it's just educating people, not just giving the mental scent. I think people understand. Um, you know, it can get a little granular when you start about clean water and clean air and all that kind of stuff. People might think you're a little, a little crunchy, but when you just talk about the basic <laughs> Too stuff far down the rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah. But if you talk about the basic stuff, like, Hey, half of chronic disease, everybody sees more dementia. Everybody sees more kids with autism. Everybody sees more diabetes. Everybody mm-hmm. sees more obesity. Everybody sees all these things. And, and to correlate that with our diets, it's not hard for most people to grab onto. It's just then how do you, how do you actually change people's lives? And that's where people kind of, um get a little lost, which is one of the reasons I make a big deal about education and talking about this kind of stuff, because people have to wrap their brain around it before they're going to wrap their hands around it.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And do you find just uh, communicating what you just shared, like saying that this type of food is bad or or this type of food is not good for your health or whatever it is, is that information enough for people to start making those behavioral lifestyle, lifestyle changes?
1: No, people need it. Okay. So great. Like, you know, bad fats are bad or whatever, or bad dairy is bad. In, in my area where I live, what does that mean for me? Because I like cheese, I like dairy, I like cream, I like whatever. And so that's, you have to also empower people. Okay, these are, these are the products you can buy that are better. This is what you need to look for in a olive oil. You know, People don't realize that, I mean, again, I'm, I'm speaking from an American perspective. I don't know what the rules are in Australia. but oh, it's here- very
0: similar. Very similar in Australia. We just have a slightly different culture, but yeah, the way the system works is very similar.
1: Like in America, you can have a olive oil that's still labeled olive oil, and up to half of it can be another oil. It could be a canola oil or -hmm. another or or or, um, um, a soy oil. So just telling people, look, first thing to do is look for extra virgin, cold pressed olive oil. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's a starter. Well, people start looking for it. Like, wait, actually, most of it doesn't say that. And when it does say that, it's almost twice as expensive. And it's like, well, (laughs) there's a reason for that. It's really funny. Like we have a local. um, place called the olive oil tap room where I'm at. And they basically direct order stuff from over in Italy and Greece and North North Africa and stuff. And typically their oils in their in their their shop are usually they get there within three months of crush date. Mm-hmm. So it's like a spring and a fall crush date. So say the spring crush date's like March, April. So it's coming in their shop like June, July. If you go to like Whole Foods or go to some other place like that and look at the dates, usually crush dates are a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, and one thing you have to realize about olive oil, about 18 months, you start getting a breakdown of the, the, um, the polyphenols in the olive oil. So something as simple as that, like just when you start realizing, actually, how can we get closer to the source, you know, for everything? And it's a process It took me a year and a half to figure out how to source cheese and meat and dairy and, you know, my oils and different things. And it just, wherever people are at, it's going to, they have to have, be interested first and then it's going to take a bit to actually start figuring out how they get a hold of these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you speak much with your uh, clients patients about sort of the psychological component of of their behavior change?
1: Absolutely, you know, it's it's there's an emotional attachment to food, there's emotional eating, there's um, you know, in the United States, you know, convenience is king. You know, it's super easy to get something fast, the yeah. microwave something, you know, there's all these impediments, you know, to how we healthy living. Takes a bit. It's you. You have to make meals. You have to actually source stuff, and so it takes people having to realize that actually, in order for my health, if my health is really truly important to me, you know, am I am I going to just work out you know twenty minutes twice a week? or Am I going to actually move more? Am I going to only sleep five to six hours at night, or am I going to try and make it closer to seven or eight? And so, there's definitely a, a psychological component, especially when the norm is poor sleep, poor diet, poor exercise, obesity. You know, in the United States, eighty percent of Americans um, have insulin resistance. Half of our country is diabetic or pre-diabetic, and so you got to realize that's what you're talking to. You're talking to a a group of people that are mostly on the spectrum of some kind of metabolic disorder, some kind of cardiovascular disease. And you have to not just change. You have to change not just your thinking, but your the motivation. People have to get buying, and that's that's an educational process. You know, that was really interesting, right? You know, back in the day, smoking cessation, right? The whole thing was I have to talk to the average person who smokes. I have to recommend them to stop smoking seven times before they attempt once. Mm-hmm. And so I have to have a relationship with a person. So, Hey, Hey, Maddie, how you doing? I'll see you again. I'll see you again. And like, they realize it might take me seven recommendations for you to do a lifestyle change before you even attempt it once. So this takes patience on the, the practitioner's part. Um, and also just to realize that education and repetitions, the mother of all learning, and we have to hear things over and over and over again before we actually will, um, Appropriate. That's that's marketing. That's how people people see things yeah. and buy them. That's marketing. So, in many ways, a, a practitioner is a marketer. We're trying to market healthy lifestyle, healthy diet, and that takes repetition. And you have to do it in a way that doesn't offend your patient. Oh, you are gonna kill yourself eating that thing. You are gonna die. And <laughs> you don't. You hate your family. You hate yourself. Like that person's not coming back. You'll get you no one way. time. <laughs> yeah, and so you have to be. That, that's always been my philosophy. And you have to be willing to accept people where they're at. I realize it might take multiple times before someone attempts once, and it's gonna take, and it'll be. Failures, you know, and that's that's okay.
0: Totally, and that's the exact reason, actually, that I adopted a model where I don't actually do one-on-one sessions. Like, and what I mean by that is single sessions. Like, people, I encourage people to buy, you know, a a, a series of sessions or a program with me for that exact reason. Yeah, I have people knock on my door every now and then and say, "Hey, can I just just book one, you know, half an hour session?" And I'm like, "Nothing's changing. (laughs) Nothing's changing in that half an hour session."
1: What's interesting, Matty, because I do something, I do a membership thing where people sign a contract for a year for that very reason. Because what mm-hmm. happens is now, every time they see you, it's like, what costs me this much to see you? Versus if it, you, you remove that barrier, if you can get over this hump and commit to a year, commit to how many sessions or whatever, then you've already gotten the biggest um, hurdle out of the way. And then it's like, I got this time to work on this in repetition, whether mm-hmm. it's through easy, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through um Newsletters, email lists, whether it's through working with a coach coming to see me in person, it just takes a lot of repetition. And um, yeah, that's huge. That's that's actually it's really interesting in, in my world in the United States with like functional mess and one of the models is putting these packages together or memberships because not just from a financial model, but actually if, if you want to change people's lives, they have to commit to you just as much as you're committing to them. Hundred like, If they're like only commit one office visit, it's like you know or one one time off just to take you for take you for a spin. It, unfortunately, most people you see in that model won't make ma- massive changes. And that's our current healthcare model, actually. you know,
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, in, in Australia, it's what, about seven minutes, which is probably similar to, to the yeah. US, right? Per session with a doctor?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have, we have actually some really close friends that are actually from um, Sydney, Australia, that we know um, from church. And it's really interesting to listen to their perspective of healthcare and how stuff works. And it's like, it's, wow, it's like, it's really really similar. Um, So, um, yeah.
0: I think the big difference that um, Australians don't realize is where, so, you know, Australians are much more um, subdued compared to most Americans and American culture. And so uh, you go to America and you see billboards with drug (laughs) advertising, you see TV ads with drug advertising. And so we don't see that here in Australia. So Australians think it's not the same, but behind closed doors, the business is exactly the same. The finances are exactly the same.
1: What's well, interesting, Matty, there's only two countries in the West that actually allow direct-to-consumer advertising for drugs: the United States and Holland. Mm-hmm. All the other countries don't allow it. You know, and it's yeah. really interesting how in the United States, one of the results of that is people, oh, I have an advertisement for this drug. Ask your doctor about X, Y, Z. And if I got seven minutes, it's a lot easier to say, sure, you can try it. We'll talk to you later. Then is to sit and talk to you about how this new fancy drug actually doesn't work that well. It's, there's this new Alzheimer's drug, but I won't mention that you may have heard of it. Well, it's called a doula. I'll just mention that, but it actually helps um, affect formation of beta, beta amyloid, which mm-hmm. everybody thinks causes Alzheimer's disease. It's it doesn't. If you look at the brain of someone who's 80, you cannot look at their quantity of beta amyloid and tell the difference between someone with Alzheimer's and doesn't have Alzheimer's. It's an epiphenomena. Sure. It's an epi... It's, there's something else going on that results in this, you know? And so, it's, it's one of those things where when someone's being advertised to... It's going to take me a long time to educate someone about what's actually causing dementia and how the neurofibrillary tangles and beta amylate aren't the primary thing. They're, they're a secondary thing. The primary thing is all this other stuff, inflammation, toxins, um, glycotoxicity from sugars, heavy metals, sleep apnea, spirochete, salarm, all this stuff...
0: Well, and the well, cumulative, I, the cumulative effect of a lack of sleep, so the glymphatic system yeah, hasn't abs- been operating perfectly for absolutely. decades.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And so all that stuff is like, I can't. I got seven minutes. Here's your trialless drug. Come back and see me in three months, right? And so mm-hmm. when the system's kind of set up like that, you're going to get prescriptions, not um, answers, and and true help well, in my and opinion.
0: there's and there's this kind of terrifying regulation in the opposite direction which is like for cancer for instance is like it's illegal once somebody's to, is diagnosed with cancer to not use chemo radiation or surgery like it's it's illegal like you're not allowed to offer any other alternatives as a doctor here in australia which is really terrifying so it's like so really actually scary. australia
1: that's actually illegal
0: Yep, yep. It's if you're if you're a doctor recommending like alternative therapies, you can get in big, big trouble. Wow. Um, yeah, I yeah I worked for seven nice. years in a cancer hospital. It's it's shocking.
1: <laughs> that's crazy. Wow.
0: Yeah. So and you know we've got I guess we've got to realize too a lot of society looks up to our medical doctors and and not that they shouldn't be they're not worthy of that but they are also a regulated system highly regulated.
1: Well, the thing to think about, you know, like. The way I look at there's, like with COVID for example, there was you know why did it take us so long to figure out vitamin D was a good thing when we had data going back to flu and influenza and other Mm -hmm. viral diseases um, twenty plus years? Mm -hmm. The whole idea of vitamin D, you know your Th1 and Th2 immune system when your body makes antibodies, if you have low levels of D, it takes longer for your body to ramp up your antibody levels, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a big stretch to say hey maybe we should consider this. And in in the UK they were actually mailing vitamin D to high-risk individuals, while we were debating, you know, if it's, you know, quackery in the United States. And we have <laughs> literature going back decades on this, and you have to realize that medicine is largely by consensus. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ignaz Semmelweis, the guy who invented hand-washing in Europe, it took 30 years to catch on. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, smoking in the United States took 50 years and 7,000 research articles before the top doctor in the country said... Hey, guess what? Smoking causes lung cancer, and so that hasn't changed. And so, if you want to be at the at the tail of the error, you know, the back into things, and when this general consensus, it can be 20 years before you're changing how you do stuff. And that's where you know, staying up with the literature is hard. It takes a lot of work. And it's in our model, our insurance based model here, insurance doesn't pay for me to implement novel new things, and it pays for me to implement standard of care things. Which means I'm always practicing medicine 20 years behind the. Um, the scientific curve.
0: So if you want good health now, be an early adopter.
1: Well and, and one of the things I true. But as a medical doctor, I also take very seriously um my oath, first and foremost, do no harm. Of course. You know, and so once you when you realize that iatrogenesis which are things doctors do, you know, bat, you know, miss miss um, um misprescription of medications, complications of surgery, mistakes in the hospital, when you add those all together in the United States, that's the fifth most common cause of death. So I take very seriously, like first and foremost, stop, do nothing. Is what I'm recommending going to be, what's the risk? And, and you talk about a lot of these other, these integrative functional medicine modalities, they have to be at least as safe, if not safer than standard care. And many times they're way, way safer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's like, it's much harder to overdose on vitamin D supplements than it is on any medication.
1: It, true. Yeah.
0: So for people listening, they've probably got family members, partners, or maybe even themselves that are, you know, heading towards, you know, that's probably why they're listening. They're heading towards some of these unfortunate health outcomes, the diabetes, cancer, or they're looking to their parents and thinking, oh, is that what I'm destined for? So what's the advice for people that are listening right now that want to unwind their disease or their likelihood of disease?
1: Well, you got to realize, you know, the old model, the 20th century model is genes cause disease. So I was in medical school in 1996, I was told cardiovascular disease is 80% genetic. Um, Well, now we know it's 5%. Mm -hmm. You know, in the 1950s, if you had the BRCA2 gene, BRCA1, BRCA2 gene, you had a 20, if you're a female, you had about 20% chance of getting breast cancer. Today, it's 80%. So even if you have the gene, quote unquote, we've seen a 400% increase incidence of breast cancer. So you have to realize that the genes load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. And that's where diet, exercise, sleep, um, relaxation, relationships, there's a huge association. This is one of the things that COVID's been so bad is we lost our social connection. Relationships actually improve people's ability to handle stress. Kids that actually grow up in a a stable home, when when they have an outside stress, they're less likely to interpret that as trauma than kids who don't have a stable home. So all of a sudden now, these things are huge for our health. So my my baseline recommendation is do the foundational basic stuff. You can do all the fancy stuff, taking curcumin and fish oil and D and C and zinc and NAC and, you know, blue-lip muzzle extract pulled from the Mariana's Trench or whatever kind (laughs) of bizarre stuff, you know, shilajit that comes off the western side of the Himalayas, you know. You can do all that cool stuff, right? But ultimately, those are supplements supplement and they supplement the foundational things. So I tell people, start from there. You know, if 80% of heart disease can be prevented by diet and lifestyle alone, if 70% of cancer can be prevented by diet and lifestyle alone then that's where you start that's where you finish but then you add as you're coming around full circle that's where you add the cool things in
0: yeah absolutely yeah you are in the driver's seat believe it or not (laughs) and i think that's one thing that western medicine um has influenced in 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 a bad way is that taking people's intuition and um and uh, independence away from their health. It's like, no, I'm the doctor. I know more about yep. you than you know about you. So anything you feel is right or wrong, disregard those internal signals mm-hmm. coming from your brain and just do as you're told. And so it's, it's almost like this um, reintroduction to one's own body that they have to go through to be like, oh, my yep. body's actually giving me feedback and I need to interpret that.
1: Well, Matthew, do they have, do they have the big stress in, in Austria with evidence-based medicine? Is that a big thing there?
0: I'm not familiar with it, no.
1: Okay, well, evidence-based medicine is this big thing here, looking at science and data and literature. But the, and it actually started from an article, in the, um, I think in the General American Medical Association, it was like 91. And they, the, the, the triangle of evidence-based medicine was um, clinician experience, um, scientific literature, and patient preference. Mm-hmm. That's what was supposed to revolve around. And what has become is scientific evidence and nothing else. And the thing people don't realize is that half of what I know now will be can, will be obsolete in five years, and half of the and this is from um, the PLOS Doctor Ewan is this is actually the biggest online medical journal in the world that half of all published published now, not pre not pre-print articles right you know this is actually published stuff half of the findings are later found to be false, so we got this world where every half of what I know is obsolete in five years when medical knowledge is doubling every eighteen months. And half of what makes published is later found to be false. You really need experienced clinicians who have a lot of history, and you got to take the patient's preference into account. And when you only, if you don't do that, um, it's a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I, it reminds me of my grandmother at the moment, um, who's getting on in her years and dementia starting to come in. And but even before the dementia, like every sentence she says is about her doctors, what her doctor says, like she's got no thought of her own about her own body or her own situation or her own health. It's just like, I was told to do this, I was told to do that. And, I'm, and I often ask, I'm like, Nan, what do you think about this? And she's like, Oh, I don't know, this is just what I'm told to do. And it's yeah, it's like, We've got to go through a process of people taking their independence back in a way.
1: Well, it's also something that's generational as well when, you know, like when you had like this vaccine for polio saved my life. This antibiotic for pneumonia saved my life. Like back in the day when, you know, if you look at the way things were in the 40s and the 30s and back in the day, you know, a quarter of kids dying before they made it to adulthood. You know, maybe one out of five women dying in childbirth. Like the numbers are pretty big pretty bad, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the lap, sure. in the United States, the average life expectancy in the 60s was about 62 years old.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: so like when that was what our found, the foundation of what we're, our system was kind of on, now now the most common cause of death is actually chronic illness, not mm-hmm. acute illness. And so our model of delivery of healthcare has to change with the times and still stuck in the same system that my grandfather and your grandmother is getting. And, and it's time for that to change.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Where can people find your amazingness online? Because I've listened to a bunch of your stuff and you've got so much to offer. So, where can people listening find you?
1: Um, well, RichmondFunctionalMedicine.com is my website, and that's kind of my hub for um, all my educational stuff, my community, all of our things are right there. And it kind of goes from there. You know, I do podcasts like this, and we usually share that on our social media. Um, mm-hmm. But RichmondFunctionalMedicine.com is my um, starting point. So.
0: Amazing. Well, for everybody listening, I'll put that link down in the show notes below. So make sure you check out Richmond Functional Medicine um, and anything else we've mentioned here will be down in the show notes below. If you've enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, pop it up in your social media, tag us both, you know, on all of the socials that we're all on. Um, and to wrap up, what is one piece of health information, Aaron, that you wish more people knew about?
1: I wish more people knew that healthy fats can actually change the trajectory of their health. Healthy omega 3s, omega 6s, healthy. Um, saturated fats, healthy lean fats, um, omega-9s and extra virgin olive oil. These things actually are super powerful for brain function and for gut function. Um, they have anti-cancer properties. They have anti-inflammatory properties and something you can simply put in your diet just by changing out your oils and changing your diet habits. So, And plus fat, little well, fat in your diet actually makes things taste a lot better. So um, mm-hmm. that's one of the revolutionary things I've been studying lipid medicine. It's called lipid medicine, actually, um, for the last five years or so
0: tastes better and you feel more satiated so you're less likely to go continually filling the, that binge eating rabbit hole
1: <laughs> exactly and it's healthy <laughs> yes
0: thanks for listening to the Aaron, how to thanks not so get i I'm really podcast. grateful for your time if you love yeah, this episode and health really information is your thing no then we'll please consider subscribing thanks, to the show Bye. and when you're done head over to iTunes Google podcast or whichever app you use and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.